I'm Ray, a storyteller, educator, mom, and now your host of Homeroom, a podcast bridging the education gap between the classroom and the living room. Growing up, my single immigrant mom was so busy working multiple jobs to make ends meet, she couldn't afford to give me a lot of her time. So she relied on schools to teach me everything about how to succeed in life. But under-resourced and over-standardized, our one-size-fits-all education system had other priorities. In this liminal space of unmet expectations, I fell into a blind spot. Homeroom is my attempt to ask why. In this first season, I speak with people in all walks of life from around the world about their own experiences with their education systems. I want to know what worked, what didn't, and what ideas they have on improving it for our next generation. In this episode, I speak with Artur, a fellow parent, educator, and storyteller about the flaws of our education systems and how it fails so many of our students. As new parents, we spoke not only from a lens of longing for an experience we wanted for ourselves, but also one of hope that it can change for our own daughters in the future. Here is our conversation. I I was a TV kid. So yeah, yeah. I, I remember that I would wake up really early in the morning to watch a TV show with my grandparents. And that was my routine for a long time. Um, and my brother was around and once he started becoming more active and willing to play, that would always become a reason for conflict because he wanted to do things outside. And I just wanted to sit in front of the TV. And and I guess this, I don't know, this, first of all, this kind of personality, but then this idea that I feel so self-absorbed on the things I'm doing, I'm reading something, I'm writing something, I'm watching something. And then I forget that, hey, there, there, there are people around me, you know, so just picturing it in the story because my daughter, my, my brother would always ask me, hey, let's play outside. And I would say, nah, <laughs> I want to watch this. Now I'm playing, I would say. Uh, now, now I'm playing. I, I draw and I play whatever she wants. <laughs> right. I so think that, I saw, I think I saw on one of your um, reels or your posts that um, your daughter was painting your nails. I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, I don't play with my daughter enough. Like there is just so much to do around the house. Like I still have not folded three loads of laundry um, for the past like week and a half. They're just sitting on top of a table because I haven't gotten to them yet. But how are you balancing like home life and then being a parent and then your work? How are you balancing everything? Well, we do have clothes to fold as well. After actually, during the pandemic, I think this became a thing like, hey, do we really need to fold those? (laughs) So right now, while you were saying, I thought, I thought there will always be laundry to fold and I won't have that time back, you know? So 
I rather stay with her and have a pile of clothes unfold. But it, what is hard, for instance, when I'm cooking, when I'm doing the dishes or when I'm cleaning the house and I have to come up with these strategies so she couldn't, so she can understand that, hey, I really have to prepare food, otherwise we won't have any. And it becomes some sort of play as well, or I put her in her fav favorite stroller and it, it has a, a, a horn and I, hey, what is the sound of the horn? And she does it like, bee, bee, bee. So I try to do this, you know, but sometimes it's hard. Sometimes she wants to stay on my, on my arm and I'm cooking with just one arm. And sometimes she tries to grab a, a pan and it's stressful. So, but pretty much every day the house is a mess at the end of the day, <laughs> in the end of the day. And then, well, we start organizing things after she's, she's out. So for me, I'm very sensitive. So like I'm sensitive to sound, I'm, I'm sensitive to smells, I'm sensitive to sight. Um, so like when I see too many different colors, like concentrated in one area and it offsets the balance of these other strong colors on the other side of the room, I get really irritated. And I just keep wondering, like, we've been having children since humans have been alive. But if this were a business of, like, parents taking care of their children, like, I still feel like we're in the startup stages. And, you know, you and I are both educators, and we've been in... Um, the teaching industry for many, many years. And both parents and educators have the responsibility of raising the next generation. And these two types of people are very burnt out in many different ways. And I feel like we don't really have the support from society to help us do the most important thing, which is raise the next generation. So I was curious to know a little bit if you want to explain how uh, maybe your own experience um, being a student and an educator in Brazil. I think what you're doing is so important. The way, the way you, you present this idea, right? And it is so crucial, like you're landing in the intersection of the future, right? Parents and teachers, that, that's, that's really amazing. And it struck me. Well, I think here in Brazil, it's important to consider if it's a public school or if it's a private school. So it's, it's a, it's something uh, related to 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 money, right? And even uh, even among private schools, we have a range of private schools, right? You have a a, a private school that will cost you I don't know fourteen hundred dollars. I'm sorry, fourteen hundred reais. And we have schools that would cost ten thousand reais. That would be probably two thousand dollars. Right? Uh, yeah, so it's a range. But in the end of the day, what I see is what is the quality of our children 
interactions. I mean, if you're in a public school, probably your parents are working the entire day to make ends meet. So you go to school in the morning and then when you come back home, your parents are still working. So probably you're going to stay with the, your grandmother, with an older sister, uh, something, something like that. Or your mom is at home because she also has other kids. And imagine this environment when you don't have much money and you cannot certainly be aware of what's going on with your children's education, right? Because there is this big gap between uh, uh, that household and in the school. On the other hand, we have uh, wealthy families, but what, what happened? The, the children, uh, the child goes to school in the morning and then this kid will come back home only at night or this kid will stay with a nanny for the rest of the day. And this nanny will take the kid to karate, to ballet, to swimming lessons, you know? So I think that this feeling of, hey, who is around? Who is truly around? And when we consider, okay, what is the reality of classroom then? 30 kids, 35 kids. Oh, of course, after the early years, kindergarten, right? Kindergarten are usually smaller classes, but once they start having regular classes on the first grade, for instance, you're going to have 20, 30 kids, one teacher. When is that acceptable? Because you're going to have children, uh, your, the kids will be in different moments. And if it's, a, if, if it's an introvert, it is very easy for that kid to be not seen. And when it will happen, when the grades come, and, and then we're, we start people to blame if the grade is not good. Either it's the teacher or the kid is not studying that much. So I think it's, it's a whole punishment system when it comes that way. Right. Well, what, what was my reality? My parents are both teachers. In, uh, in the beginning, they took turns to raise us, but it felt pretty lonely because they, they were constantly working. I, I would stay with my grandmother, my grandfather. They were great, but it, it, it wasn't them. Right. And then they, I, I remember that my parents were constant, constantly working. Right. Uh, of course, they took interest in us, what, how we were doing, uh, but it's, it is too much. And I have parents, right? I have parents. So imagine if it's a single mom working two jobs, three jobs. How does that work? Yeah, that was my case. Um, my mother, single immigrant mom, uh, and so, yeah, I didn't get a lot of attention. And I think there was this sort of just assumption that once I started going to school, that I would get attention from my teachers, right? And so there was sort of like this vague notion that somebody was making sure that I was succeeding 
or getting the attention that I needed or getting the help that I needed. But it was always sort of assembly line, right? The next person will figure it out. The next person will figure it out. And, um, you know, when I became an educator, I saw a lot of different types of students and lots of different um, classroom situations and lots of different, lots of different everythings, right? So for about three years, I taught the gifted and talented students at an elementary school, and we would pull them out twice a week and we would uh, work on independent projects where we really got to understand their internal world. We were able to understand what their imaginations looked like, and we were able to give them that very individualized attention. And then on the other side of the school, there were uh, special education students who had individualized education plans, IEPs. And um, these are students who have certain challenges, whether they're physical disabilities or developmental delays or um, speech issues. And so they had individualized education plans that um, kind of laid out exactly what their journey should look like, whether it's their daily routine, whether it's certain learning objectives or outcomes that they need to meet by the end of the day or the week or the month, there was something for someone to look at. And, you know, I remember thinking, I wish all students had individualized education plans where it wasn't a teacher or a parent or a grandparent or an uncle who like just sort of winged it, right? But they knew like, okay, this is what this person is working on. How can I help them achieve these things? And so it's really the student that becomes the owner of their learning. Do you think that that's something that could be helpful at scale? Or do you think that, um, do you have better ideas for how people, how students who may not have, right, the attention of a coherent parent or um, a caring guardian or, you know, a non-burnt out educator, right? What are some ideas you think that could help um, students become owners of their own learning? I think the greatest currency that we have in the all educational, all the learning process is curiosity. So there's an educator here in Brazil. Uh, he's one of the greatest one, not only in Brazil, but in the world as well. His name is Paulo Freire. And he yes. says, right? And, and he yes. says that. I think Bell Hooks also yes. mentions him. Teaching right? to transgress. Yeah, exactly. Actually, I'm with this book here right now. Yeah, it's and, on my and, bedside uh, table. Yeah, teaching to transgress. And he says something that, uh, that the, the learning process should have as a keystone 
curiosity, right? And I think when we, that, that all the learning process starts here, that's how we nurture uh, intrinsic motivation, right? So when we see that scenario, when kids are coming home, I'm sorry, coming class, feeling depleted of attention, feeling that they don't have enough support, they're going to engage in a relationship where they're craving for attention. Therefore, they want to desire what the teacher desires. So it's all external motivation. Plus the punishment system we have. So I want to have good grades. What do I have to, to do to have good grades? Therefore, be a good student. Therefore, considered to be considered a good person. That I have value. So everything is external, external, external. So the thing for me is that, like, how can we, first of all, make sure that the students feel that they're worthy, that they're being seen, that they're being heard, and that they can explore this in, inner word, world as much as they want. Yes. And that when this come out, we're going to look at it and help you work that through. Absolutely. Right? So considering that ideas, first of all, I think that we should try to, 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 to think of different moments, just like you said. And I, I think I, I've been a part of this in a very twisted way. They separated this between classes. Like that would come across to us as the class of the good ones and the class of the bad ones, right? So that would establish a com competitiveness between us, even though we didn't know that, right? But what would happen in the other class, the one that they said was the class of the problematic students, they would say, hey, you're not doing the work. That's why you're not on the other class. And those guys, they will be your boss someday, <laughs> you know, something like this. So it, it is completely wrong. So, but okay, aside from that, different situations, different moments, moments to work in a group, moments to work in a peer-to-peer -peer learning, two, three students, and then one-on-one and therapy. Right, therapy, let's have that in a school, right? Moments to talk, talk about emotions. We don't have that. I kind of want to talk a little bit about that because, um, you know, you and I are both introverted people. And so I imagine we had similar situations in school where we may have been made to feel less than or um you know have less worth than someone else who might have been more extroverted or displayed certain skills um it was curious if you wanted to um make that connection and um to your own personal upbringing yeah i i, I think i have a couple of stories so uh, when I was in in fourth grade, uh, I started having problems with math when I was in third grade. Something was not okay. 
and I couldn't get it, right? So I couldn't get it. And remember, one teacher, all subjects, history, geography, science, Portuguese, literature, right? So I couldn't get it. And at some point when you have 30 students, if that student is not getting, you cannot give that student your full attention because you have 29 other students, right? So that issue kept going. So when I got to fourth grade, uh, there one time I was talking to a friend and I was having a good time. I was not paying attention to class. And this teacher, teacher of mine said, Artur, that's why your father says you're, you, you don't know math. And I thought, what? And she repeated in front of the class. Yes, your father was in the parents' meeting and he said that you don't know math. And that's why you don't pay attention. So at that moment, I felt all, all sorts of feelings. I felt exposed, but, but most of all, I felt that something related to my father, to my relationship with my father broke inside of me because as a, a role model, as my hero, as the person with, with whom I had the strongest connection in my family, sad that I didn't know something. And that became some sort of stamp, right? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And uh, I got really upset. And I, driving back home, my father saw that I was upset. And he asked me what had happened. I started crying and I couldn't look at him. And I told him what happened, but all, all the time looking the other way. So I couldn't really talk. And, uh, and the other day, he, my father is an educator. He took action and he went to school the other day, but he talked directly to the teacher. And uh, I don't know what he said because I was looking uh, at them from a distance. And then when she finished talking to my father, I can recollect if he had already, probably not. I think he was still there to see if she would talk to me. And then she came, I was uh, next to a fence, looking at them in, uh, at a distance. And then I saw her coming and then she kind of got really close to me. And I felt like uh, I was shrinking, you know, looking down like, okay, uh, you know, like a puppy, when you put that puppy in a corner. <laughs> and I felt that way. And she said, next time you talk to me. And then she said other things, but I can't remember because I simply stopped listening because I, I knew she was uh, mad. I knew something had happened. And so she was calling my attention. And, and, and uh, I just remembered that next time you come to me. And, uh, and it kept that way since. You know, that feeling. And that's when I think I started to participate more in class, asking questions all the time, participating all the time. Because uh, now I understand that I was trying to prove to someone or to the per person in that position of power that for, for the occasion has the same job as my father, 
right? It's an educator as well. I was trying to prove to that person slash father that I'm not stupid, right? So I think it became, it came at some expense of how I behave in class. So I, instead of interacting with my colleagues, I started having these dynamics when I'm constantly trying to prove myself. So that's one, I think it shaped my, my entire relationship with classroom. I think the real big story is you felt like you had been betrayed by your father somehow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it brought me f an information about the way my father perceived me. And um, I remember that as an educator, I think that, that line, as educators, I think that line was constantly blurred inside home. So they, I, I think these two identities would sum up. Sometimes they would even clash. So I remember that I was writing a paper about uh, the war in uh, Iraq. And I remember that I read a couple of pieces of newspapers and I wrote something down and I showed it to my father. He gave it a quick look and he said, I would give you C minus, you can do better. And he gave it back. <laughs> so he didn't give me any instructions or he, he didn't point it. And I, I'm sure that it's, of course, it was his lunchtime. He had just uh, came back. He had just come back from, from work. So we, we take all that in consideration, right? But at that moment, uh, it felt another way like this, you know, uh, the repetition of that, hey, not good enough, right? This is not good enough. So then I rewrote it, read a couple more of, of, of newspaper and, and articles. And then he looked and said, oh, now it's better. But I, so at one point, considering the educational part of it, I didn't get any feedback. I just got bad, good. Right. So I didn't get any feedback to improve. And as a, as a parent, he wasn't there as a parent. Right. So he didn't, he didn't do neither. <laughs> right. I understand that this is how he could manage. Right. So what I can tell about myself, it's not about him, but what I can tell about myself is, oh, okay. So this is me trying to get his approval. This is me trying to get from what I, I do that he values or appreciates or think it's good enough, it's creative enough, right? And my father is a professor at a federal school in a federal institution. So he is very open about his opinions and he compares school systems. And my, my brother studied there because to get there, uh, you have to go through a raffle because it's a public school. So you cannot say that, okay, you can only study here if you have money. So it's open to the entire community. They do a raffle 
and you can study there. All the teachers, they are, they, they have doctorate degrees, master's degrees. So they are really good, really good professors, really good teachers. So my brother got there in third grade. And I kept trying, I kept trying, and I kept trying, but I couldn't, it, I, I wasn't accepted uh, by the, by the, the, the raffle, not by the school, but the raffle didn't get me. And um, I only could get there in the earth, eighth grade. But what happened in between? I was constantly hearing how my school as a private school it was all just about business. It was all just about money. That the only thing they cared about was was if we could uh, get in the in the university. We were basically race horses being trained to do tests, right? In in the school I work, no. This is all based in this philosophy of education. How we can develop the individual. You know, so there was this deep comparisons between systems and I was on the other class. <laughs> right? I was on the other class. So so I can see how those dots connect. Yeah, and I think what I've been hearing um, or the thread that I see connecting several of the stories is this hyperfixation on grades because I imagine the goal of compulsory education is for you to go to a good university and get a good job yeah. so that you know you can make sure that you become part of the economy that brings enough money into the country right and so is there a better way to get students to where they need to go that's interesting because if, if I can add one more knot to that th thread, uh, when I joined the university as a journalism student, I felt that mm, it's not here. It's not this. But at the same time, I couldn't figure out, okay, what next then? So what it is then? And when I would come to my father and say, hey, I'm feeling lost. I don't think this is it. He would quote the Cheshire Cat from Alice in Wonderland. So if you don't know where you want to go, every road will take you there. And I would do this mental game like, but I don't want every any road. I want my road. So I lost a lot of time trying to figure things out before doing the journey. So what I think is, how can we allow students to have meaningful experiences throughout their journey? Because once we start tapping into our curiosity, express them through creativity, I think we can have a, an, an therapy. I think we can have this sort of awareness of what am I here? You know, I mean, I mean, let me rephrase it. What resonates with me, right? If we think us yeah. as individuals, as a bridge, 
there is something that connects the inside world to the outside world. Yes. So how can we address that? And hey, this is how you work now because you're still developing yourself. This is what's speaking to you. So this is how you, you know, I think if we can manage to create methods and experiences, valuable ones, we can, we can teach people to feel and to understand what rever reverberates with them. And that's okay. Instead of saying, hey, that's not for me. Uh, because once you start listening only to the external desire, you don't listen to your own because you don't think it's good enough. It's valid enough. So if I'm hearing you, it kind of sounds like you're suggesting that we need to make sure to draw out the internal interests of the student by using their innate curiosity to find their own road. And we just need to sort of help them get on their journey, see what they like, nurture the ones that they're good at or enjoy rather than constantly yeah like that's the goal the only thing that matters is how fast you get there that's not it seems not to be that right because most of them once they get there sometimes they get a six-figure job in tech world they say wait this is not it right so i think this awareness this process of awareness the sooner we start working on that, the faster we can understand that what matters is experience and how you can navigate experience, that the world has many uh, passwords, many keys to unlock doors, different doors, simultaneous doors, because that's another thing. We're taught that you've got to find a job that will take you through life until your retirement. Like we, as we are one-sided piece in a clock in the system and... And, and you, you have to learn how to function there instead of breaking the system, right? No, I totally agree. And I think, you know, Steve Jobs says, like, you know, your life doesn't make sense going forward. But when you connect the dots from, you know. Looking back. Exactly. When looking backwards. Looking backwards, it'll make sense. And I think you're right mm -hmm. um, in that we have to pursue the road that interests us even if that the end of that road may not yield the results that are favorable as long as it interests us or because that might lead to something else and um, that might get you closer uh, to where you do actually feel in more alignment um, I majored in art um, and I was like, this is great, but what am I going to do with this? And then the next thing was education. And I was like, I love this, but how can I make it work for me? And then I went into filmmaking and then I was like, oh, I'm using my experience being an educator and my experience having, you know, studied photography, helping filmmaking and then I was like I don't want to do filmmaking I want to do this other thing I want to do graphic design I want to know more about entrepreneurship and then now I'm kind of realizing okay everything that I have done before 
is helping me with the next new thing that I'm going to be interested in. And that's okay. Yeah. And even if you have to wait tables in between jobs, right? Because the thing is, for me, talking from my experience, it was a thing of life, life or death. Either I figure it out now or I won't be successful. And, 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 and that froze me because I thought I should, like the thing, I should know my why, <laughs> right? I should know the road beforehand, before walking the path. And I think this would help us even to do uh, strategic decisions, uh, 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 calculated ones like, okay, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna work at this restaurant uh, while I'm I'm preparing myself to do this other thing, and that's okay, right? Okay, I need money right now. What can I do to 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 make money? But I know what speaks to me, right? I think I think this is what I'm saying regarding has having a deeper sense of awareness, right? And I loved what you said about how your life, you were finding the next thing and connecting the dots. Oh, oh, this is helping me. That's amazing. Yeah, it's all related, but you don't know it until you're doing that you next thing. You get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it should feel exciting. It should feel exciting instead of just lost, right? To feel lost at some point should be exciting. 100%. Instead of just anguish, pure anguish. Yeah, exactly. We shouldn't be made to think, right, during our compulsory education or our formative years to think, oh, you know, you have to get this one journey absolutely correct or else you're not going to amount to anything. Yeah. In, in comparison, I think comparison is, is key here. Right, because when we think of this educational structure, you're saying they need to prove that what they do works. And how do they do that? We have this many students into that university. And if you're not that person, it means you failed. Right, so uh, I think this comparison thing sometimes get deeply rooted inside of us because if I'm not the smart one, therefore I'm the dumb one. If I'm not the successful one, this one idea of what success looks like, right? It means I'm not successful. So how can we uh, demythify all that, right? How can we break that myth? 100%, 100%. There shouldn't be these two either ors, right? It's not you're dumb or you're stupid. It's more of how are you intelligent right what are your gifts what are the unique things that you feel like make you enjoy life and then how can we grow that into something where you can help others thank you for tuning in to my conversation with artur we spent a bit of time talking about our memories from our formative years during school and artur mentioned a defining moment for him during fourth grade Mine happened just a couple years earlier. In the second grade, my teachers called my mother and me in for a conference. When my teachers avoided eye contact with me, I started wondering 
what I'd done wrong. Was I failing second grade? Was I being kicked out of school? My teacher started explaining to my mother that I was slower than my peers, that I couldn't solve problems on my own, that I ranked far below my peers in multiple subjects. Not even a full week after this moment, my mother enrolled me into an after-school tutoring program. And for the next weeks, months, and then years, I learned how to solve equations, identify the key ideas in my reading materials, and crammed SAT words into my writing, hoping my teachers wouldn't notice that I was actually quite clueless. Because in my brain, nothing changed. I still couldn't think critically, form real opinions, or speak in linear sentences like my peers could. My marks may have improved on the outside, but on the inside, I was an imposter. It wasn't until I became an educator that I finally realized what it took to be a good student. It wasn't just more instruction or more practice or even perseverance. It was actually something we don't nurture either enough or at all in many of our schools. Follow Homeroom on Instagram at homeroomed to chime in with your thoughts and join the ongoing conversations. Check out our show notes for details. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.